the mighty tower. Run to it and are safe. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, worship team. everybody. Hope you had a good week. I hope you were a real nuisance to the devil all week. So uh, next week, my message is going to be, they didn't come to help the Lord. Now already you're saying, that doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> well, let's come next week and try to find out about that. They didn't come to help the Lord. It's actually biblical, and so it's, it's kind of a, a message I was going to preach at some point if the Lord would uh, direct me so, but knowing that uh, shaped is coming or shape is coming up and uh, what shape is, it's, it's an opportunity for you to find out what your giftings are and uh, to be able to find out where you might be able to serve. And after all, if we are saved, we are saved to serve. It's a great opportunity. I, I saw, looked through the material and I thought, wow, this is going to be so much fun. Every time you can go through some kind of a, a bunch of questions and, and, and ideas to discover your gift and where you might fit into the church and into God's great plan, it's, it's a great idea. So I encourage you, if you haven't been to shape, to do that. And also in the fact that in, a, in the coming months, sometime we'll be having a couple of pretty important business meetings and you might be a part of this church and have never taken out membership, so there will be an opportunity for that in a few weeks after a Sunday morning to do that. So I encourage you to do that. So, this morning, one thing the devil doesn't believe. Has anybody figured out what that might be? Nobody's, uh, maybe you forgot about it. <laughs> anyway, I'll get to that in a second. When I was pastoring a church at one time, I, it was Friday, and I took Fridays to do a lot of praying and it was in the sanctuary of the church. We had an overflow section, and the uh, curtains were about this wide open. And I was in the sanctuary, and I was just worshiping God. And uh, I was alone in the church. It wasn't a big church, congregation of 100 or so. And so I was worshiping the Lord. It was Friday afternoon, and a lady walked in because the church was open. She walked in, and she went down from the overflow and uh, walked in, and she saw me, and at that particular moment, I was just in a moment of really praise and adoration. I was, had my hands raised. I was all by myself, I thought, <laughs> and she says, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize you were rehearsing for Sunday. <laughs> well, her very words showed to me that she wasn't a Pentecostal or charismatic, for sure, but, uh, and I thought to myself later, yeah, I guess I am rehearsing for Sunday. I'm getting ready for Sunday. I'm worshiping God. Whatever. Well, this lady had some problems, and she had cancer, and it was really bad news that she received that week. She remembered when she lived in Saskatchewan, that when she was in Saskatchewan, there was a Pentecostal lady who used to come to their home, and she shared about Jesus and his power to save, his power to answer prayer. And so she thought, I'm in big trouble. I haven't been serving God my whole life. I'm going to look for a Pentecostal church. So she happened to find our church. And she walked in and she told me her story. And I prayed with her and explained to her about salvation. She received Jesus as her Savior. And I, I was happy for her. And I was hardly, hardly wait to Sunday to see her again. This was a Friday night. 
she went home and she decided when she went to bed that night that she would tell her husband what happened uh, that afternoon. So in the morning when she woke up and she looked over, her husband was dead. Such a sad thing. And I thought to myself, this lady is not going to want anything to do with God, right? I mean, she comes to God, asks for help, and her husband dies. And at that time, she still had cancer as far as she knew. But what surprised me was that she came to church. That lady ended up being healed of a brain tumor completely, but the rest of the cancer stayed, and over the next few months, it eventually took her life. It was in her lungs. And uh, so what surprised me was that she kept coming back to church <laughs> and that she wasn't bitter against God or didn't wonder why God did one thing and didn't do another or why this was all happening. And so she went into the hospital, and in the hospital, the West Lincoln Memorial Hospital in Grimsby, where she was, she was a light after only saved a few weeks, knowing Jesus only a short time, she was a light in there. She was an encouragement. People came in to encourage her, and they left more encouraged. Incredible. I mean, that surprises me, kind of, you know? And, and sometimes things like that surprise us. I think even angels get surprised sometimes when people, you know, come around like this lady. Amazing. I think Satan is surprised. He figured, oh, I got her now, right? <laughs> but anyway... I'm also surprised at some of the smallest things people will stop serving God over. <laughs> this is no place for peach skin, right? <laughs> Bruise easy. You wouldn't be here if, if you were peach skinned, I'm sure. You would have left long ago. So surprised at that. Well, we're going to look at a man in the Bible who went through more troubles than anybody that we could imagine. His name was Job. You weren't, aren't surprised if I say who it was. He experienced the worst trials and tests that I think any human would ever have to endure, or should have to. And yet, to everybody's amazement, even Mrs. Job, he didn't curse God, because that would be a sure way of ending his life. And he didn't walk away from God. Now he squirmed, and he questioned God, and he argued with his friends. And by the way, we're so hard on those three friends, aren't we? You know, they came with their ideas, and what did they say to Job? Well, you know, if you would quit sinning, you wouldn't be in this trouble. And all these things that they came to. But think about this. These three friends came, and they sat and said nothing for days. Didn't say anything. And then they finally spoke up. So let's not be so hard on them. And after all, they had that theology that says, well, this is the only reason you're going through this problem, these problems. So I'm not so hard on them as I used to be. Now, the, the fourth young whippersnapper that comes along, uh, him I'm not so patient with. But anyway, that's sign of a sidebar. Today's message is about Job. It's a dateless book. It's a regionless book. We don't know where the land of Uz is. A non-Hebrew book. Some say the oldest book in the Bible. And yet I think today there's a message for us in the book of Job because it's in the Older Testament, right? So why don't we stand together before we pray. We'll read the scripture in unison like we did last week and whenever I preach in the Old Older Testament. So when it's on the board, let's read it together. Romans 15 verse 4, let's read it together. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us 
so that through the endurancement taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. God, I pray today that you would bless us with hope. Hallelujah. We thank you for these triumphant songs and these songs of worship. Hallelujah. Oh, we are so overwhelmed by the goodness of God. And we thank you for your word. May we leave here with an ability to endure, to be encouraged today. For maybe somebody here has had their life turned upside down recently. And like Job, they're wondering what is going on. So I pray that you'll bless this word to our hearts in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. So please be seated. I'm going to take the time to read the scripture to you, the first chapter of Job. So it says in verse 1, In the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man in all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job made arrangements for for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of those children, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And this was his regular custom. Well, one day, the angels came to present themselves to the Lord. And Satan also came with these angels. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job serve you for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around about him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well, Satan. Everything Job has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. The Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one left to escape to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, fire from heaven fell down, or from heaven fell, and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down in your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the Lord, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While they were still speaking, or he was still speaking. Yet another messenger came with the worst news of all, folks. 
and said, Your sons and your daughters are feasting and drinking wine at their oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground in worship, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Incredible story. And there's more to it, of course. One thing the devil doesn't believe. You know, we're living in a day and age when some people have said, all hell has broken loose, or the devil has broken loose, or whatever. And in a general sense, the devil has been loosed. In a general sense, this phrase is absolutely accurate. Satan could not bring those disasters on Job that we read about without God giving permission to him. Satan desired to sift Peter, the disciple, like wheat, get his hands on him. I guess he was afraid of what might happen if Peter ever got things going. And he had to ask permission of Christ. There's a little bit of security at that, at that particular time. Now, Billy Graham used to tell the story about people who said, listen, there's really no devil. It's just an evil force. It's not a person. So he said, well, to show the, make the point, he said, no, there's these two boxers. And the boxer was in one corner and the other, and it was the, the bell rang for the, the first round. And the coach slapped him on the back and said, go out there. There's nobody out there. <laughs> and he went out. And he got beat up pretty bad. He came back bleeding, his eyes half swollen. And the coach slapped him on the back. There's nobody out there. You just go out and you deal with him. It's nothing. Well, he went out the second time. He really got beat up this time. And he came back more bloody than ever, more swollen up than ever. And the coach said, ah, there's nothing out there. Go ahead. And he said looked up, went through the one eye that was slightly open. He said, well, then, could you keep your eye on that referee? Because somebody is hitting me out there. (laughs) Yeah, the devil's real, for sure. Where did he come from? The Bible says in the book of Isaiah and also Ezekiel 28, he was known as Lucifer, the morning star. He was like the top dog in God's army an ordained guardian cherub. But it says in those, gospel, those words in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 that he was expelled from heaven because he thought he could be like God and take things over, basically. So God expelled him from heaven, and now he's with us here on earth. And once he is expelled from heaven, as we read about from Isaiah and Ezekiel, we find out that when he's on earth, the Bible records the devil speaking three times. That's all, just three times. In Genesis, Adam and Eve, Job here, we read it today. And then in the Gospels, the devil speaks, is recorded as speaking three different times to Jesus while he's in this temptation in the wilderness after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so when he comes to us, the enemy speaks. I think in five locations at times. He speaks to us in the garden. 
He doesn't speak to us. He speaks about us in heaven. And then the other three times, he can sometimes speak to us when we're on the mountain. <laughs> we're in the temple. Or we're in the desert. He still comes and he still speaks. Those are the accounts of the, the words of Satan are only recorded three times in the Bible. The Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that he masquerades today as an angel of light. We are also told that he has schemes and methods and devices. And Paul said in Corinthians earlier in that same letter that we are not ignorant of those schemes or methods, depending on your translation. And in Ephesians, Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand up against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. So we're not completely ignorant of the schemes, but sometimes we become ignorant of his individual, individual methods. And so we need to be so in tune with God that we have discernment and we're able to understand what we ought to do. So Jesus said at one time in Matthew chapter 12, by your words, that's you and I, we'll, our words will be justified or by our words will be condemned. That's just the way it is. In other words, words are the expression of the real Tom Quinn, the real you. That's what it is, who we really are. Eventually, if you listen to me long enough, you'll find out a lot about me, who, what the true person is like, what some of the real character is. The words will reveal who I am. You will find out that I, I like fishing. I like the outdoors. I like hunting. You'll find out that, yeah, I like the Toronto Maple Leafs. Just like Pastor Robert, you know. Uh, just hope, hope, hope. <laughs> uh, but Jesus was debating with the Pharisees and the and the, some of the teachers of the law. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, what comes out of the out of a person is what defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, etc. And so what is true of man is absolutely true of the devil. So what he says should reveal the real devil, what he's really like. And if Satan only speaks on these three occasions then his words will likely reveal the nature in some way, his character. His deeds are recorded throughout the Bible. We see his deeds all around us today. But his words give expression to his personality, and they're only heard three times in the Bible. G. Campbell Morgan, in his book called The Voice of the Devil, says, His words are the source of all the rivers of sin and sorrow and desolation and damnation that have blasted and cursed human history. In Genesis, the devil appears to Eve and Adam, and he does three things. He questions the goodness of God, he denies the severity of God, and he slanders the motive of God. You see, in Genesis, we hear Satan slandering God to us. And he does the same thing today. He whispers in our ear, sometimes through people, sometimes through thoughts. And he says, God didn't really say you would actually die if you did ate this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God really doesn't love you. That's why he doesn't want you to eat that tree because you'll understand and you'll be like him. God's holding out on you. He's not kind to you. God is selfish. 
Those are the things that he whispers in the ears of people when they begin to consider serving God. The devil comes with all of those lies just like he did in the garden. In Job, we see the devil again. This time, he's not slandering God to us, mankind. He is suffering, or he's slandering uh, man to God. He's up there in heaven saying, oh, Job, he's just selfish. Job, you know, he goes through his list. And so, in the Bible, Satan's words reveal his thoughts. They reveal what he doesn't believe. It says in James chapter 2, verse 19, the devils believe in God and they tremble. So the devil believes in God. It says in Revelation 12, 12, that the devil, it says, woe to, he believes God's word, right? He believes God's word. It says, woe to the earth and the sea, and because the devil has gone out to you. He's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Wasn't that incredible? He believes there's a God. He believes God's word. And he knows that Jesus is coming back soon. He knows all these things. So what doesn't he know, right? What doesn't he believe in? The devil believes in God and all these things. Well, if the devil believes in God and his word, what doesn't he believe? You know what he doesn't believe? He doesn't believe in you and he doesn't believe in me. He thinks we're phonies. <laughs> right? So let's look at this story again. He didn't believe in Job. And Job's sufferings come out of nowhere. There's absolutely no connection, no matter what preacher you hear, there's no connection between what happened to him and his character. He's not getting uh, punished because of his sin. It comes out of nowhere. God put the book of Job in the Bible to prepare you and I for some of the calamities that at times, in those really tough times, that can come to our life. Not just to maintain a stiff upper lip and say, I'm going to manage, I'm going to do it, but to bless God in the middle of it. And not with hollow words, but with real meaning. I praise God anyway. I don't understand things, things hurt. I'm upset right now, God, but I worship you. I love you. Hallelujah. So the land of us, it says there was this man, Job. He was blameless and upright. He feared God and hated evil. So here's this blameless, upright man, and he's not a good candidate for being punished for sin, is he? God said he's perfect. And then he has these seven sons and three daughters, and he has all of these blessings that we read about, the sheep, the camels, the oxen, the donkey, servants, the greatest man in all the East, apparently. So verses 2 and 3 in that chapter, they basically tell us these are the rewards of the righteous life that he lived. God's, or Job's life was noticed by God, and God blessed him. When you and I are faithful to God, God will bless us. Amen? And so he was blessed in this way. And then it talks about his sons having feasts in their home. He was so concerned that they got a little careless while they were having these parties that they might have cursed God in their heart. <laughs> in their heart. So he would have an burnt offering for them and sacrifice them just in case in their hearts or in their minds they thought something. So we get this snapshot of this reverence that this man has for God and his love for his family. 
And Job was extraordinarily jealous for the reputation of God. And that's why he offered those sacrifices for his children. He had great love for them and concern for their spiritual being. And then tragedy after tragedy comes in four consecutive, consecutive attacks. The donkeys and the oxen are killed uh, and, and the servants are killed all but one. And then fire comes down from heaven in the second attack. And the sheep and the servants, sheep are taken, servants killed, one allowed. Then the Chaldeans come. They raid the place, steal the camels, kill the servants, all but one. And then the worst of all, like a tornado, struck the house in the old, of the oldest boy where they were, all the children were, killing everybody in the house. And we ask, what in the world is going on to this godly man, Job? If we're going to see what's going on to Job on earth, then we need to go someplace to find out what, what's going on. We need to go to heaven for an answer. So it says in verses 6 to 12 what was really happening, and that was that the angels came and presented themselves to the Lord and Satan also. I don't think anything is much different today. There will come a time in Revelation, it says that there, near the end, when Satan will be cast out once and for all, and there'll be no more going back and reporting. He'll be just let loose to do some havoc here before Jesus comes. But for now, I think this is still going on as it is here in this scripture. And, and Satan gets his opportunity and, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And I think if Job was listening in, he said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't say anything to him, please. <laughs> and Satan's response is, well, you put, like, come on. He serves you for nothing. Who wouldn't serve you, God, if, if you, did, you, know, you did all those things for them? So God displays his prize jewel. That's what I call Job, Job, prize jewel. It's kind of this story. I think John Piper told this story. He said, uh, it's like a thief breaking into a jewelry store just before it closes. He flips the sign over, so it now says closed slips the latch on the door, and now he's alone with the owner in the jewelry store at closing time and finds out what he's doing there. He says, I'm here to rob you. And the owner of the jewelry store says, hey, let me show you my prized jewel. I have it hidden back here. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is worth $5 million. John Piper says, I rule out the possibility that God is stupid. I rule out the possibility that God is a bumbler. I'm left with only one answer. God is setting Job up. Hmm. You see, God is proud of Job. Hallelujah. That's why he said, have you considered him? He's proud of him. Satan believes the only reason that Job is serving God is because the way God is treating him. So the devil says, <laughs> What's the, who wouldn't serve you? Look at all the things he has and all the family. God could have said to Satan at that time, you're wrong, so shut your mouth. Away with you and your lies and your accusations. He could have said that. 
And I think God does that every day because Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, right? He accuses us before God day and night when he's not down here or his workers are busy doing things for him. God allows Satan to touch Job, and you might say, why? For our sake, <laughs> maybe, probably, definitely. And also so that God's greatness would be glorified in all heaven, with all the beings in heaven would glorify God through the life of Job when he triumphs over all these tragedies. You see, Satan was wrong. Job did not curse God, but he blessed him. So that's the end of the story. Not quite. It says in the next chapter, I'll read a few verses. On another day, the angels came and present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? You know, God knows where he came from, right? But it, this, is, this is to give us an idea of the line of authority. Tell me what you've been doing. Give me a report. <laughs> where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth and going forth in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Again? <laughs> There is no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. See, God said, without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and his bones, and surely he'll curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, very well, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And then he took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it and sat among the ashes. We'll end there. Has a good ending to the story. Just as Job is recovering from the shock of losing everything, his family, the ones he loves so much, and his wife is saying, give up. Just forget about serving God. And he looks at his hands and his feet, and all of a sudden, all over his body are strange and painful sores all over the place. You say, what's going on here? Well, we've got to go back to heaven to find out what's going on here on earth. Satan challenged Job's integrity. He said, and God said, only, the only reason he's serving you is because you haven't killed him or his health has been good. See, the worth of God in the life of Job is challenged. The life of God, or the life of God in the, pardon me, the worth of God in the life of Job is challenged. Does God, does, does Job love God or does Job love the gifts of God. That's the question that's going on right now. So Satan is here seen talking to God about a man. God is seen hearing, understanding, and answering. And I've already said in the previous point that some think it's ridiculous that Satan would dare to make any suggestions to God about a man because he knows everything. But his weapon that he uses primarily is accusation. It says in Zechariah 3.1, When the Lord showed me Joshua, who was the high priest, standing before him, the angel of the Lord, Jesus that is, standing at his right hand was Satan to accuse him. 
Revelation 12, 12 says he is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night, it says. That's what the scripture says. So let's summarize what's happening by three things. The background, and the, I mean the foreground, the background, and the battleground. So let's look at this dark foreground of Satan, this dark foreground. It's dark. Satan is revealed in his speech. The first thing we notice is something absolutely remarkable. I want you to note this. Satan admits that God is good to us. <laughs> oh, if he only knew. Remember what he said in Genesis to Eve? God is not good. You have to be able to eat from this tree. And now he says the opposite. He says, God is good. <laughs> if he only knew his words were going to be recorded for all of eternity, for us to read. He's seen it. He's been watching. And it says, uh, God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him in all the earth. And I, I'll just skip through to the, the 10th verse of the first chapter. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. A hedge of protection. Hallelujah. A hedge of protection. Do you think that was only for Job? Uh, not for a minute. I know there's a hedge of protection around me. I would be a fool to preach this message if I didn't think there was a present, a hedge of protection around me. I mean, Michael, the number one strongest angel, was talking to Satan about things. He didn't say, you little pipsqueak, you whatever. He said, the Lord rebuke you. See, I have that kind of respect in that sense. But I know that there's this hedge of protection around me because I'm his. And I don't just say that because it says it about Job. You know, as we go through the Bible, you know, we shouldn't be surprised at the lies of the devil, right? He lied in Genesis and, and here he's lying to God about Job. The devil's a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So Satan declares the goodness of God and the reason that Job is faithful to him, his fidelity. You've been good to Job. That's why he's faithful to you. That's why he lives the life of moral uprightness. And my friends today, that is the devil's estimate of every one of us here. And he's surprised you're still in church today, serving God years later. Because his estimate is that when bad things happen to us, tough times, and we're wondering where God is in the fog and in the cloud and in the troubles, we still get up on Sunday morning, dress ourselves, go to church. We still get up in the morning, read our Bibles. We still pray to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're still here today. But the devil doesn't believe in you. But you're living proof that you're here, not because only good things happen to you. You're not here because nothing bad has ever happened to you. You're here because you love Jesus. Hallelujah. You believe his word. Hallelujah. And so we see in this scripture, 
Satan says basically, let those things that you surround him or her be destroyed and his or her devotion and faithfulness to you will cease. So he declares that selfishness is really the inspiration for my life and yours. <laughs> of course, the lie is patent. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God like Job did, and all these things, food, clothing, raiment, you know, I mean, food, clothing, and shelter will all be given to you. God said, in effect, go ahead, very well, do what you want, but there's a limit, you can't touch the man. So the devil goes out and he destroys the herds, the, the flocks, the family and everything, doesn't end there, he goes back under the permission of God again and tries it again on the man's body, brings sickness to him. You know, there was an article some time ago, I read it years ago and it was so encouraging, I'll, re, I'll, I'll just relate it to you, it was found in the Pentecostal Evangel from the USA about a young couple that moved to a small town in Iowa. And when they moved to the small town, apparently there was some kind of satanic worship and activity going on in that little community. And uh, the husband's office was broken into, and a note was placed on his desk with a death threat from a satanist. And uh, so the, the husband basically shrugged it off. However, he wasn't at home like his wife was at that time with the kids, the small kids, answering the phone and no one on the other end, but just heavy breathing. Cars that would slowly come to a stop in front of the house until she looked out the window and then slowly drive off. And this went on for months. And she was concerned. Her husband wasn't living the same situation that she was. He was trying to encourage her and saying, don't worry, God's greater than the devil and all of this. But she was really losing sleep and prayed, and nothing happened for so many months. And one Sunday, she went to church, and there was a missionary there from Fiji. And the missionary was reporting that things were going well and that they had to buy new property. And he was telling the story about buying the new property on the outskirts of the village, and he brought the local pastor with him. And as the local pastor was pointing out this field, he said, I think this will be a good place. We need to speak to the owner who's up there on the top of that hill. And uh, we'll, we'll see what, whether he wants to sell it to us or not. And so he said they got halfway across this field with grass this high. And they said all of a sudden they noticed a Doberman pincer. And the Doberman pincer was going right at them. And so the missionary said, of course, I grabbed the pastor and put him in front of me. <laughs> and just as the... The dog lunged at them, and he said, I could feel that steamy dog breath. And he says, all he did, had time to do was squeak out, oh, God, help us. And all of a sudden, he heard a screech from the dog. And the dog landed on his back and was like a turtle, you know, going like this. And he thought to himself, praise God, <laughs> this is a miracle. And then he looked a little closer, and the dog had a collar and a leash. And he reached the end of his leech. <laughs> and the troubled woman sat in church that day. And this ministered faith to her. And she said, the devil's on a leash. He has to ask permission of God before he can get through the hedge of protection that's around me. And guess what? The phone calls stopped. 
guess what? The drive-bys stopped. All the threats left, and God brought peace. G. Campbell Morgan says, God compelled Satan to work out his own evil purpose and permitted Job to endure suffering and cooperate with God and giving back giving the lie back to the devil and the father of lies. Oh, that was a pretty dark back foreground, what was going on. But in the background, it's bright and it's glorious, folks. Hallelujah. When times are tough and things are dark in the foreground and where we're living, in the background is this glorious, bright light of God. Hallelujah. He's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's not all-controlling, of course. Have you considered my servant Job? Yes, he had, but not accurately and not adequately, obviously. Satan thinks we're just in it for what we can get out of it. But God says to us, don't worry. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to handle. Amen? And when you're tempted, he will provide a way out, a way of escape, it says in some translations, so that you can stand up under it. Hebrews says it this way, but Jesus, who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, has been tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. Because of that, we must approach the throne of grace when we're in trouble with confidence so that we may be able to receive mercy and find help in our time of trouble and need. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, in the, in the bright background was God all along. Hallelujah. Satan was not allowed to break through that hedge and do any more damage than God allowed him to do. It says in Psalms, the angel of the Lord encamps around about those who fear him, and he delivers them. Hallelujah. Psalm 91, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. One time in the Old Testament, there's a story about Elisha and the Aramean armies, the Syrians, had surrounded them, and they were in trouble. And Elisha went right in, and he told him, told the king, God's in control. Don't you worry about it. God's going to have his way. And his servant was terrified. He says, how can you know, Gehazi, I think it was Gehazi. No, it wasn't Gehazi. It was another servant, sorry. He said, you know, what's going on here? And Elisha prayed to God, open my servant's eyes, would you? <laughs> open your eyes. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw in the hills that they were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Hallelujah. We could say today, God, open up our eyes. And we could see around us armies of angels protecting us. Hallelujah. A hedge of protection. A hedge of protection. Children. It's wonderful when you read this. Jesus was talking about children, and he said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that they have their own angels. Their angels. Their angels. Their angels <laughs> are in heaven. They always see the face of my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. 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 Isn't it great to be on the winning side? <laughs> 
We're a part of the army of the church of Jesus Christ. Around us is a great army of the hosts of heaven. Hallelujah. Angels protecting us. A hedge of protection around us. And once in a while Satan breaks through. But God is, has the final say. Hallelujah. And he says, I'll make a way of escape for you through the trouble that you're going into. So we come to the last part, and that's the battleground. And we're the battleground sometimes. And uh, sometimes we become that temporary battleground where maybe at times God may allow us to go through difficulties and pass through afflictions in the interests of truth and to show to our neighbors, our families, that God is worth more than our health. God is worth more than our riches and our comfort. Amen? Sometimes. I would never put myself in the category of Job and say, well, God says, do you consider Tom? No, but I'm not to say some of you aren't in that category. And maybe sometimes you go through those kinds of challenges and difficulty. Well, the Bible says when it came to Peter and Job that Satan always was limited because God was caring for them. Job is heard to say these things when he's wrestling with all of this. Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. When he has tried me, I shall come forth like gold. And then at the very end of it all, when God speaks and clears the air, and the four friends shut their mouth forever, Job says, you know, before all this trouble, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. That's the language of a soul that knows God. Amen. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord led you all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble you, to test you, in order to, to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. God did that for the people of Israel, and maybe it happens to us for the same reason. The devil's estimate is that we have fallen and degraded. He doesn't take into account that this man or this woman who's a Christian, who belongs to the sinning race, has listened to the slander about God and is victorious <laughs> and, believes that, and yet believes that God is going to look after them and regardless of the circumstances that he loves them. What are five lessons or truths I get from the passage of Scripture? There's many more than this. Well, the devil really doesn't believe that you and I serve God regardless of our circumstances, right? That's what he doesn't believe. He's out to destroy our delight in God. Now, he does that in a couple of ways. He does it through pain or pleasure. He gives us enough pleasure that we think, well, this is great. We don't need God. Or he brings along enough pain that we say, where is God? And we begin to wonder about where God is. And God wants us to put family and possessions and wealth in, in the, or Satan wants us to put that, those things in the place of God, and how he exceeds, succeeds in this, even in the church at times. And you read the parable of the sowers, you see the third soil, and wealth and riches and cares of the world choke out the word, so it's possible. Three, God is out to dis demonstrate his worth to the world through your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're a shining light to the world. And when they hear of some of the things that you've gone through and you're still serving God, that's a shining light to the world. 
And God is demonstrating, you're like a mirror of God's worth to the world. Hallelujah. Fourthly, God granted Satan limited power to cause pain. He granted limited power. He set the limits. There's some faulty teaching that goes around charismatic Pentecostal teachings today. Some false teaching, faulty I should say, that Satan is out of control. That he's got all he's causing all this trouble and that all sickness is of the devil. This is these, these faulty teachings that God's up there in heaven and he's wringing his hands. He's, I don't know what I'm going to do with this devil. I can't contain him. He's just, you know. That's not teaching. That's right. God's not sitting in heaven wringing his hands and frustrated at all the havoc that Satan is wreaking in the world. Satan is on a leash and God can pull him in if he needs to and he wants to and he can cut him slack according to his sovereign and righteous purposes. It's not the picture of my youngest boy when he was six years old taking our Labrador retriever for a walk. You know, <laughs> It's not like God doing that with Satan. Can't get a hold of this. It's not like that at all. <laughs> I want to show you something that's some people who are really smart figured was a mistake in the Bible, okay? On first reading, I'm sure that they were smarter than that. 2 Samuel 21 verse, 24 verse 1 says, The anger of the Lord was, was burning against Israel, and he, the Lord, incited David against Israel, and he said to David, I think you should go and take a census, number the people. You see, you only took a census when God told you to do it. You couldn't just go number the people and say, look at how big we are. It was a, it was a rule. And so we're saying, and we look at that, why did God do that? Why did he tempt David? So when Chronicles is written, the same story is repeated, has a little different spin on it, little. It says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take the census of Israel. So God's upset with David because he's proud. He's upset with the people of Israel. And he allows Satan to tempt David. God would not speak evil things into the ear of Satan. And so that's, that's the way the Bible shows it, if you really look at it. God is in control. God would never suggest in the ear of David to sin. And it was a sin to do that. But he allowed Satan to do that. That's the picture of my God. God handed Job's possessions over to Satan. And Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Another faulty teaching in among Pentecostals and Charismatics is that good things come from God, bad things come from Satan. And that God is frustrated. He's just frustrated right now. And have you ever heard someone in a prayer meeting or in a small gathering pray something like this? Oh, he doesn't want you to get sick. Oh, he doesn't want you to lose your job. Oh, it's almost like poor God, strong Satan. This story puts to sleep and, and shuts those things down. Another responsible, uh, another faulty teaching is that God's responsible for everything that happens to us in this life as if it's omni-controlling. And that's another sermon all in its own, so I'll skip that instead of stirring up that 
hornet's nest. <laughs> it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Let's not forget that. He is the prince of the power of the air, it says in Ephesians. The devil is the prince of the power of the air. And I might add, change that last word after I watch TV a little bit and say the airwaves. <laughs> He's the prince of the power of the media or airwaves, but he is the prince of the power of the air. He is the one that God has set here to do those things. Remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan and he took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he sa Satan said to Jesus, bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms. And Jesus said, didn't correct him, did he? he? He did say one thing, you know what, we only worship the Lord our God and him only shall we worship. But he didn't say, Satan, you're wrong, these are not your kingdoms. He didn't deny that. He said later, it shows us that he is the prince of the power of the air. He is, as it says in John first chapter 5, he is, the world is under the control of the evil one. After a series of second testings, even when Job's wife thought he should throw away his theology, Job insisted, the Lord reigns. Worship team, can you come? The Lord reigns, amen. He is in control. You know, it's blasphemy to give Satan autonomy. It's blasphemy. God is God. God is in control. You and I are the one thing that Satan doesn't believe in, but God gives us grace and power so that you and I can be more than a conqueror, amen? More than a conqueror. Well, let's stand together. Let's stand together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. Some have served the Lord for more years than I have served the Lord. And I thank you for them. But I know they're not here today because you have, they've only been on easy street. We thank you, God, that you have put a hedge of protection around them, around all of us here. But they are here today as living proof, our brothers and sisters around us, fellow soldiers, that if we could see those battle scars from the spiritual battles they've been in, we would be in awe. But they're here today because they love Jesus. We're here today, we declare that you are the God of all. You are the strong and mighty God, and that we want to worship you, we want to serve you regardless of circumstances. So God, I thank you for those that are here, soldiers that are more than a conqueror, hallelujah. We're here today because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Nothing could separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. Have you ever tried to figure out how you're more than a conqueror? I haven't figured it out yet, but apparently we are. Glory to God. Amen.